Welcome to the Own Your Choices, Own Your Life podcast. I am your host, Marsha Van Weinsberg. I'm a business coach, speaker, and author of the best-selling book, When She Stopped Asking Why. On this podcast, we will use the tips, tools, and strategies used by myself and our speakers to break through and overcome the challenges in our lives. When we take radical responsibility of our choices, create boundaries, grow our courage and practice self-care and letting go of what isn't ours to control, we can completely change our stories. When we take full ownership of our stories, we take back our personal power and this allows us to impact, serve and support others by showing them that they are not alone and helping them find freedom from their stories. When you own your choices, you truly own your life. Let's dive in. Welcome back to the show. Today, we are speaking with Dr. Amy Novotny, and this is such an incredible conversation with so much knowledge that you are going to be able to take and apply into your own life today. So if you are somebody who has struggled with your nervous system, regulating your nervous system, feeling like you're constantly in this fight or flight, your energy is like a boomerang going all over the place and you can't find your way to get back to neutral more often, or when you do, you dive into the self-care, you do the self-care things that you need, but then you rebound even faster. This is all, this episode is for you. It is learning how to regulate, stabilize your nervous system and understand how it is responding in your life, your business, your relationships in all areas, your emotions, physical. It's just, this episode blows me away. So Dr. Amy is a doctor of physical physical therapy, nervous system, breath coach, author, and speaker. She founded the PABR Institute, and the PABR stands for Pain Awareness, Breathing, and Relief, which is just so powerful in itself. And she founded this institute with the mission to provide pain, stress, and anxiety relief for those who seek a naturalistic form of treatment when other treatment methods have fallen short. Her methods have helped countless people reduce and eliminate pain, stress, anxiety, orthopedic surgeries, sleep issues, and the need for medications while improving focus, attention, energy, strength, and performance. We dive into so many details in this episode, and I loved it. Absolutely loved it. She educates you on understanding your nervous system, how to see when it's regulated, when it isn't, what it looks like, the effect it has on our relationships and our business, and how to take some very small, consistent steps to learn how to regulate it. We talked about pain a lot and the pain in our body, how it can be trapped for years and the inability of our body to pull back from our nervous system responses and how with persistent increasing stress levels, this only exacerbates our body's response to pain and the process of learning how to let go and allowing our bodies to stabilize and then let go and then stabilize again. This is an incredible episode. You are absolutely going to want to tune into all of it and to follow her. Welcome to the show today, Amy. I'm so thrilled to have this conversation with you and get to know you more. Thanks for having me on, Marsha. It's a pleasure to be here and I'm looking forward to the conversation. Oh, there's so many levels to your story. So I want to dive in a little bit first. Um, Where are you from? I, I grew up in Arizona and I lived there for about 30 some years. I've been traveling a little bit over this past year, but I'm looking for a new home, but I am very much a desert rat as I call it in Arizona. (laughs) I love the desert. I love the desert. What is something that most people might not know about you? Well, let's see. A lot of people don't know that I was actually musically inclined early on and that I used to play the piano, guitar, and violin, and I was very into music, Mm -hmm. as well as art and drawing and painting, and I won different um, competitions as a kid, you know, those types of things, but that's not what I do, and most people don't know those things at all. Now, did, did, so did those traits lead you into photography? Tell everybody about what you do or what you have done photography wise. And that's still not your story, but I just think it's fascinating. 
You know, I don't think they led me to it because I was always fascinated with photography as a kid, but I didn't have a camera. I had the occasional digital, you know, little or disposable cameras that you throw away. I've always been fascinated by just looking at something and finding how it can be artistic. And so even when I was doing drawing and painting, I would take photographs and draw and paint them. And so I didn't create art in the sense of I came up with some kind of abstract piece of art. It was, I like to represent what I saw in the world. And so I think by doing, you know, sculpture, painting, um, even music, I would take someone else's work and do and reproduce it. And that was kind of my style. So it really lended into going into photography. And in, gosh, was it 2000, end of 2015, I started volunteering for a nonprofit called Arizona Highways Photoscapes, where I helped lead some of the workshops in terms of the logistics. I wasn't the photographer teaching, I was just doing logistics. And so I started learning photography at that point and just you know, listen, I listened and then I tried things out. And so I really dove into photography and ended up traveling literally all over the world from the Arctic to the Antarctic with a photographer to keep him out of a couple surgeries. But that's, and it was, I was doing that because of my other line of work, my other business, but it got me to Antarctica and led to a gallery showings and different things like that, which I was very excited about. That is so cool. And do you think that um, as you started to travel and see what else was out there and other possibilities, is that what led you? Like, I think when you came back, you were like, no, I want to start my business. Yes. Yes. I had read a book while I was gone called Rich Dad, Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki and, and Susan Lecter. And I was fascinated by this whole concept of becoming a business owner, becoming an investor, changing things up and becoming an entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. And I realized one of the reasons I went on this worldwide trip and was hired by this photographer is I I felt stagnant. Mm -hmm. I felt stagnant in a job working for someone else where I didn't have the freedom to be creative, imaginative, explore the realms of human healing. Mm -hmm. And so when I was gone and I read this book, it really gave me the impetus to say, you know what? I'm not going back to the old life where I felt depressed. I felt stuck. I'm going to try something new and I'm going to take that chance and boy, hold on for dear life. Be careful what you wish for, right? Exactly. (laughs) It really is. So as we dive into this, I want to know, like, what does healing mean to you? And it's been so interesting because there's been such a cohesive, um, set of topics we've been doing on this show, plus people I've been interviewing and it's been so much about healing. That's not planned. It's of course not a coincidence, but I would just love to hear what your definition or what you feel healing means. Mm -hmm. I would say for me that healing is when a person is tapping into their innate abilities and resources to allow the body to restore itself to regenerate energy, to feel better. Mm -hmm. And you might not feel perfect or whatever perfect means, but you may not feel fully, fully back to way you were before an incident happened or before an event happened, but healing is a process. Mm -hmm. I don't think it's an end state and we're constantly perturbing our body in some way, shape or form. So we're constantly going through a healing process, Mm -hmm. but it requires sometimes an outside person to guide us into allowing ourselves to heal. Sometimes it requires us to pause and say, what do I need to heal? There's so many facets to it. And I can imagine there's probably a thousand different definitions to the word as well. Oh, there's so many different definitions and like everything is right. Basically, basically there's no right or wrong, but it's fascinating to hear the different ones. I, I love that you added requires an outside person to support you in the process of healing. And I think that the interesting thing that can happen as humans is 
I know I'm sure I'm not alone, that we can figure this out ourselves. I can do it. And I don't need to ask anybody else out for help when actually that could be the thing that's blocking you from actually healing. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think of it this way is, let's say I have a house, I have a plumbing issue, something happens, maybe the faucet is dripping. I can try by my skills to try to fix it, but it may be a f- deeper problem. So I need a plumber. I mean, I may need a couple of plumbers. I may need to find the correct person for the job. Same thing with our body is because of the way that our nervous system is set up, we often mute or turn off a lot of the communication that's happening from our body to our brain. And because we turn that off just to get through our daily life, we often, one, don't know we turned it off, but two, we don't know how to turn it back on. And that's where a person outside can guide us to that. And it can take a search to find those answers. It Mm -hmm. really can. I may not be the correct person for you. The next person may not be. 10 people down the road may not be. But then you find number 11. It's like, oh, got it. They said something that resonated with me that allowed me to access something that I didn't know I turned off. Wow. You're like, you're hitting something that I think is really powerful because I love how you said we mute or turn it off to get through our day. Like, it's like, we just push it down. I got stuff to do. I have to keep going. And then when you turn it off for so long, it's like, you don't know how to turn it on. And I think our bodies, I always say our bodies are talking to us in the only way that they know how, and they whisper, whisper, whisper until finally they're like, you know what, damn it. Like they're just going to smack you upside the head or something becomes very big because we haven't been listening. Mm -hmm. It's true. Mm -hmm. Is that an experience that you went through? I have gone through that. And I think we all do. I know I've gone through it in many different scenarios. Um, When I was younger and I went through some experiences with my mom who had some mental disorders, I had to turn a lot of things off. And I didn't realize it until later that those parts of my body I had to turn off and I couldn't sense and feel things. And it wasn't until I chose to get healthier where I started eating better. I worked out on a regular basis. And I even learned to pause and have a recovery mm-hmm. and work on my nervous system that it's like, Oh gosh, I didn't realize that. And I went to many courses. I've talked to many different health professionals and I really realized how much stress and the stressors that add up through our life can change our body, really change our health and change our, how our organs function, how our skeletal structure functions, all of it. Thank you for sharing that with us. I can hear it and I can see it and I can reflect on it in myself. I can hundred percent see it. So as you're sharing, one of the things I want to ask is how do we know if our nervous system isn't regulated, which we like for everybody listening, just so you know, (laughs) I show me somebody who is a hundred percent. It's just not the case, but I would love to know your take on it. Exactly. So there's some big obvious signs there, like flashing in your face. Things like, are you emotionally reactive? Do you feel buzzed? Do you feel tight where you get up and you're like, oh, my hamstrings are tight. I'm not flexible. I feel like I'm 120 years old. Those are some signs. Things like chronic pain that just showed up. Um, things like you're having digestive issues, insomnia, the monkey brain where your mind is racing, even, even things like chronic fatigue or adrenal fatigue. Those are signs that your body has been taxed. Overeating is another sign or eating too fast, breathing through your mouth. They're all signs that we're in fight or flight mode. And we don't know how to calm down. Hypervigilance is another one where you're constantly on edge and every little noise that you hear is ramping you up. There's so many things there that you shared. And I think when we look at them, is this something that we do as humans that we, we see them as segregated, you know, that's a digestion issue. So I must go get help with my digestion that's a sleep issue. I need to get help with my sleep. Like this is my emotional. I need to get help over here. 
when a very common underlying consistent theme is our nervous system. Absolutely. Because there's not one doctor out there that specializes in, I would say, this type of nervous system approach. Mm-hmm. So you have a neurologist who looks at the central nervous system and the peripheral nervous system. And you have an endocrinologist that looks at hormones, but you don't have a physician per se who looks at the autonomic nervous system from a stress point of view. A psychologist does it from the mind and emotional but not the physiological component of the autonomic nervous system who takes this all into account and guides a person through it. Mm-hmm. And so that becomes a problem. And so when we have a sleep issue, we think we need to see a sleep doctor, which is appropriate. It's completely appropriate to get all those little hints and ideas to change your behavior, to improve your sleep. Same thing to see a GI doctor for your digestive issues. But if you're having multiple systems where you're seeing multiple doctors, that's when you need to take note and say, okay, wait a second. Hmm. Should I be looking at this from a nervous system point of view, from a stressful point of view and saying, okay, let's put like the lens filter on a pair of glasses and now look at my life from the, from the outside in and say, okay, if I were seeing a friend from this point of view and I see all these things going on. What's the commonality mm-hmm. for the most part, it's how you respond to stress in your nervous system and how it copes and manages your daily life activities and what's thrown in your lap. Wow. Wow. So honestly, it's, it's hitting me because I can so relate to all of this. Like, and I share it a lot on, on this show, but I find it's interesting because one of the things like I had a 27 year career as a kinesiologist. So I like physical rehab, that's what I did. And then after when the pandemic hit, I had back surgery, they literally rebuilt my spine. And it's funny because as angry and frustrated as I was, I literally went, okay, I spent my whole life prepping, knowing what to do when this was me. Like, and that's literally what it was is I took myself through that process of learning that and what I needed to do. But where I was going with that is that a lot of times in the physical um, therapy field, we chase pain, right? We chase pain. We chase like, that's where the pain is. And one of the things I've learned that was, it's, it was so valuable then. And I didn't even realize it even to now how valuable it is, is that where the pain is, is not always where the problem is. Now, how does that, does that make sense? It does. And part of the thing is pain is a signal from our body to our brain that something is out of position when it comes to like the skeletal musculoskeletal system. Obviously, if you have some kind of organ pain, that's, that's related to a tumor, that's something completely different. Mm -hmm. But let's say you wake up one day with shoulder pain or in your instance, back pain. Mm -hmm. And it's literally a signal your back's not in the correct position. Some tissues are butting up against each other or pinching, Mm -hmm. possibly creating an inflammatory response in an area that doesn't have enough space to handle that inflammation or to handle that rubbing of tissues. Mm -hmm. And so if we think of it, that our skeletal structure keeps us in a certain position, our muscles are holding that skeletal structure in that position and can change it or keep it there. But our nervous system gives a signal to the muscles to behave that way. Mm. And so if we can change the nervous system, then we can change how the muscles behave. We can change how the skeleton is held. Mm -hmm. And so surgery goes in there and it creates space to allow you to have space for those tissues, not to butt up against each other. So surgery is an option to create space. Now, the thing is, doesn't change the way the muscles are behaving on that space. And it doesn't change the way the nervous system is communicating to the muscles. So now when you have surgery, you really need to change that nervous system. So you don't have to have another surgery in two or three years Mm -hmm. because your nervous system is still going to behave the same exact way. Now, sometimes surgeons can create enough space. They take out enough tissue that you don't have to worry about that during the rest of your life. But a lot of times they don't give you enough space because you don't want to take out more tissue than you need to 
they're providing you a relief, which is what you wanted. Mm -hmm. But the real work is we need to change the nervous system that's telling the muscles to behave a certain way and change your perception on how you should hold your body because all of your perceptions and what you think is correct landed you into the space that you're in now. Unless of course you're in a car accident or something traumatic right. like that. Mm-hmm. But we're talking about cases where pain crops up. So we have to really look at that nervous system and there's different components to it. Like there's obviously you can voluntarily activate muscles and make them contract, but the, also the nervous system I'm talking about is let's say you hear a bang outside mm-hmm. and you're, you jump you go into a fight or flight status because you're afraid you heard something that was jarring to your body. Now that's called sympathetic tone. Your muscles contracted in response to a fear trigger. But let's say you look out the window and you realize, oh, it's just a car backfiring. I'm fine. Okay, fine. So that means everything, you know, can calm down intellectually. You know, you're fine mentally, emotionally, you know, you're fine. But if you don't pause and get rid of that sympathetic tone that developed in response to that car backfiring, your nervous system's going to still think, oh, keep those muscles firing, keep them firing, keep them firing. She's in hypervigilant, a high alert mode. And if you don't stop that in track, it's going to keep going. Mm-hmm. And that's what happens in our daily life. All of those little bangs in our daily life, and they can be minor, mm-hmm. they add up over the day. And then By the end of the day, you're so exhausted and you're tight and you go to bed and then your body is in this ramped up mode because it's been taught to be on high alert because you physically are tightening all your muscles. You're sitting at the edge of your chair. You're trying to have good posture. You're sucking your gut in. Those are all fight or flight positions and statuses for your body. So you go to close your eyeballs. Your body doesn't know how to let go. It doesn't know how to relax. It doesn't know how to just release so you can heal and you can sleep deeply and go through all the sleep cycles. Mm-hmm. So that's when people get in trouble. So we, we can shift it though. We can shift it. And that's what I wanted to get into with you. Um, thank you for sharing that explanation because it, it also, if we are responding in that way, in that sympathetic like tone way, then when there actually is a real threat, like we've been tight, 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 tight all day for things that don't require us to be that tight. We were, we were in a, um, I'm going to say a trauma chaotic situation many years ago. And there was a whole group of us in this room and somebody dropped something and I, I jumped off the chair and the counselor looked at me and said, like, why did you do that? I said, because, because of the noise. And she said, but nobody else in here jumped. I immediately was like, but what did I do wrong? And she's like, no, it's not wrong. It's your body's response was so fast to respond. That's not a cognitive response. That was like a physiological response that happened. And that was a real eye opener for me that it was like, oh, I didn't realize I've been carrying it during this stressful time. And she said, oh no, you've probably been carrying this for your whole life. And that, that was, so what you're saying is all of this can compound, not just from one response. Absolutely. And it does compound. Mm -hmm. So if we don't understand how to release it, especially if you grew up in a situation where you don't have a loving childhood or there was some type of trauma, there was some even neglect, Mm -hmm. abuse. Some, some of the people I work with have no physical pain, but have gone through trauma and abuse and neglect. And so there is this emotional pain. Mm -hmm. And so the body just starts to guard and it literally does not know how to let go. And I can't tell you as so many people where I'll say, can you relax your shoulders? And they say they are relaxed and you can see that they're elevated. And so what they do is then they try to pull their shoulders back and they throw out their chest. I'm like, okay, now they're down. I was like, no, you're actually in more fight or flight mode because you just pulled your shoulders back using your back muscles, your back muscles compressed on the fight or flight nervous system that lies along the spine. Now you're tightening up even more. Now you're in even more protective state. And we really don't know that this is happening over our lifetime. And the whole idea of learning how to relax and let go is very scary to many people who have undergone 
some type of trauma where they drop, they jump at the drop of a, a hat. And the problem is you can't just have them relax. So if I were to work with you when you were in the state where you heard that loud noise and you jumped, I couldn't just teach you how to relax because it's too, you'd feel too vulnerable. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't know how to stabilize yourself. So there's a process to it where we teach you to relax some, but then we have to get you to stabilize in a different way from using your back muscles. Then we have you relax more and stabilize more. And so it's a process of letting go, stabilize, letting go, stabilize until your body can feel free in its own right, but also stable in its own right. This is fascinating to me because that is the exact process I would take somebody through physically when they are in a space. Cause they're like, well, I have to stretch. And I'm like, actually, no, we don't need to like, you're so tight that we don't need to spend a half an hour stretching. And some, a lot of times physical therapists will say that. And it's like, you need to release and let go and then stabilize, teach the muscles how to stabilize you in that space. Then we release and, and let go. So it's, I guess it's so funny. I've never thought about it the exact same way for our nervous system. It really is because, and you know, if you take someone who has a tight hamstring Mm -hmm. and you try to stretch it really hard, they're going to have a reflex. They're going to kick back. Mm -hmm. And it's the same thing with our nervous system. And I've made those mistakes. Believe me, (laughs) Donna made those mistakes. And I apologize to those people where I get them to relax. And then the next day, their whole nervous system just ramps back up with a vengeance and so now I'm really careful with anyone I work with. And I, I do these things with on Zoom because then we can't go too far because their body doesn't allow it. When I, when I used to work with people in person, I could use my hands to help someone just get into this fully deep relaxation. I would put people to sleep. They'd fully let go. But then the next day they're like, oh, I just, that was such a miracle day. And then now I feel just as bad as I was before, if not worse And it wasn't that they were worse. It was, they felt so good and their nervous system rebounded. They were still better than initially, but it just felt so horrible. Mm -hmm. And so I talked to people. I'm very clear to say, let's go at a pace that your body can handle so that you can release because it will be better, more beneficial for you in the long term. That's, that's amazing. That is amazing. I love how you've shared that. So how, how do you do this with people? What does this look like and how are you supporting them? Sure. So I have been doing it one-on-one with people on zoom throughout anyone throughout the world who can speak English. I can do some in Spanish and French as well, but we work together and we go through a process where I'm going to ask them how they reach, how they bend, how they squat, how they walk. And I watch them do these processes because what I'm taking note of is how is their nervous system showing up in all of these basic daily activities? When you reach, I can see whether your nervous system is turned on or turned off, how you bend over. I can see that if you go to pick up a bag of groceries, I can see is your nervous system ramped up? Are you flared up? Or can you do that with ease? And so after we go through that, then we start working on changing the way you hold your body and the way you breathe mechanically so that you can calm down the fight or flight nervous system to allow you to shift into parasympathetic relaxation. And so as we go through this process, then I put you in various positions where you're learning how to keep your breathing mechanics in parasympathetic breathing mode where your back stays relaxed and you learn how to use your arms and legs differently. And so that will mean starting off by putting someone, probably laying them on their back, then maybe on their side, maybe on their hands and knees, maybe sitting in a chair, maybe standing, holding on to something. And then finally standing without holding on something and walking and running and whatever they want to get back into. So we have to integrate it into their life, but it's a process to get there because If I were to take you and say, let's just teach you how to relax your back. And then you go off and you start walking. You're going to convert to using your back when you walk. And most people don't even sense or realize that their back is walking them until I point that out and say, can you feel your back working? They're like, wait, oh my gosh. Yeah. 
I don't feel my thighs at all, but I can feel my back working as I stand, as I walk across the room. And so we have to get someone to once, first of all, recognize and become aware of it and then change their mechanics and their breathing so they can feel the nervous system calm down and then implement other ways to get them to do whatever it is like walking. I love, I love that explanation. So would you say that breath work is a big part of what you do? Yes, I would say breath work is, but not in the traditional sense. So not like box breathing or Wim Hof breathing or Bucheco or all the different types out there where you're looking at rhythms. Mm-hmm. There is a rhythm to what I do, but it's more the mechanics of your breathing that we're dealing with. So it's a difference from the traditional breath work that's out there. Okay. Yeah, no, I definitely, I've been trying different kinds of breath work and it's been like, it's been incredibly helpful for somebody like me. I probably live most of my life in that fighter type taught energy um, of the nervous system. I really, I'm sure I have. And it's been so interesting because learning to let go of that, as you say, it's such a big part of the work that's involved is like recognizing it doesn't need to feel that way. And it's just been super fascinating. Honestly, Um, before I had my back surgery, I didn't have back pain. I had toe pain. It was all nerve. And I remember like saying, I think there might be something with my back, but it's not terrible. But, but the nerve pain, if you're somebody who has ever experienced musculoskeletal pain, that's different. Nerve pain. I would say like nerve pain has memory. It has like a memory. It just remembers. And it's not that I can stretch it to let it go. So you're making me also kind of second, not second guess, but really think differently in understanding that that's just my nervous system that was also on fire. Yes, there was a nerve issue, but when they went in, they actually created space. They put spacers in. So it's actually so ironic as you speak about space. And then I had to learn how to walk again and actually literally learn how to walk again. And so many things have changed, but people have said, you know, like you've recovered really well. I'm like, I am so committed to the work that I have to do now. And it's made such a big difference. So I like the word space in a physical and also in a space you're talking about with our neurological systems is creating space so that that will help us to release that tension that's there. Absolutely. And in your scenario, so you had an impingement of the nerve that was sending the signal going all the way down to your toe. Now it actually didn't go down, which was really ironic because they're like, well, that's not sciatic pain. And I'm like, no, I'm telling my toe is on fire. There's something burning. And it took a really good friend who was a chiropractor. And she's like, I think we need to get you an x-ray. My doctors wouldn't do it. Didn't feel it was necessary. She did it. And she came back and she's like, it's your L5 nerve. Like you have got to get this looked at immediately. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. So in your, and kind of what I'm saying, I, didn't describe it well. So your L5 nerve goes down to your toe. Mm -hmm. So the impingement happened at the back, but that still disrupts the signal going down to your toe. And it's a very, very, and unfortunately it's a common condition, Mm -hmm. this L5 radiculopathy where it affects your toe. But the thing is your spine and the vertebrae somehow changed position over the course of your life that led to an impingement on that nerve root. Mm -hmm. And so it affected the pain in your toe. And for people who have had nerve pain, and I've had had nerve pain following a surgery, it is the most excruciating pain in your life. And you will do anything in this world to get rid of it. Mm -hmm. And that often does mean surgery because you don't know if you can survive the next moment in order to get to go. So I have full, complete compassion to anyone who chooses to do a surgery to create the space just to get some relief. Mm-hmm. And what I encourage people and you are doing the work, I encourage people who have surgery not to let up like what you're doing. You are doing the work to make sure that your body is healthy again. Mm-hmm. And so anyone who does surgery, I say, keep going. Do not let the surgery just be your band aid. 
because there were some things that happened well before the need for surgery that you still need to work on so that you don't get back into the situation again. So I commend you on that. Yeah, no, thank you so much for emphasizing that. That is, that's so powerful because I, I know with years in physical rehab, we were always like back surgeries and no, like you were not doing like, it's just, it's the last resort. And I saw so many clients who had such not great recovery afterwards. And so when I finally got to see the surgeon, he was like, yeah, it's urgent and it's going to be required. I'm like, well, no, what can I do to get stronger? And he's like, absolutely nothing at this point. Like there's nothing that we could do. And you're a great candidate. He's like, honestly, I think you're going to do really well. And so even in the recovery, the nurses would laugh. I set my alarm on my phone and every hour I got up and I walked, like even just getting slippers on to walk was a challenge, but it was definitely like, I couldn't believe the difference in two days of practicing just movement. And so it's amazing how we can, we can heal our body and our nervous system. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it does take time. And you are a great example of it. It does take time and it's often takes thinking outside of the box, mm-hmm. really examine all aspects of your life and say, what can I do to release some tension or stress in this aspect of my life, in my relationships, in my work, in my commute, in my diet, all of these ways that we can just shift a little bit just to bring some relief so we can sense our body differently again. Mm -hmm. No, thank you. Thank you for explaining that the way that you did. So people who are listening, I, I would love it if you would explain to them how our nervous system isn't just affecting our body. It's affecting Mm -hmm. like how we deal with stress, how we are performing in our life and our relationships and our job, like what kinds of, just to help people to understand because you did a great job in the beginning explaining, like, how do we see the signs that our nervous system is in that fight or flight mode, but how is it affecting our lives? So a lot of times, so relationships are one of the biggest ways that you can kind of see it. If in your relationships, you feel like you're just off, Mm -hmm. you're not resonating with someone. Maybe you're snipping at someone and and my clients will tell me this. They're like, yeah, I'm just snapping at my spouse or I'm snapping at my kids. And I don't mean to, like, I love them, but it just, it comes out and it seems as though I can't control it. Mm -hmm. So that's one way to look at it. Are you not as patient with your customers? Are you not as patient with yourself? Do you get angry at yourself? Are you talking down to yourself? When you're just going through your day, let's say you knock over a glass of water. Do you look at it and you're like, oh, okay, it's water. Okay. Or do you get mad at yourself? Oh my gosh, why did I do that? Why in the world did I do that? And if you get angry like that over something like spilled water, that's a sign that your, your nervous system is really ramped up and that's going to affect your ability to perform your job. Mm-hmm. It can impact how you focus and hold attention because You're drawn to every little thing in your life that perturbs you. Mm -hmm. There's something, a concept called open focus and narrow focus. So narrow focus is when you are targeted on something and they're just, you're in fear mode. So you're just so narrowly focused. And so let's say all of a sudden you feel, you hear a noise. Okay. Now your attention's over there, or you see a bug on the wall. You're now it's over there and you lose the ability just to absorb what's going on and open your focus up to the world so that you can just exist. So that can really impact your creativity, your imagination, especially in your job. So any entrepreneurs out there, it can impact your, your business in multiple ways, how you work with your employees, your team, how you are able to focus to be productive or to create or think about your business and how it can grow in the future. Physically, I see it all the time show up as chronic pain where people are so stressed out and their body just shifts just a little bit. Every time those muscles contract based on a stressor, it pulls on your bone just a little bit, a little bit. And then all of a sudden you wake up one day and 
you have toe pain, you have back pain, you have neck pain or a headache or a migraine because tissues change just enough that led to a compression. And because your stress levels are so high, they've crossed that threshold. You don't know how to bring them back down. Your body has physically changed because of that. And there's an issue. And because you can't sense what happened and the change, you don't know how to get out of it. And so you seek help from people and really good, well-intentioned people who have external modalities to bring about a change. And sometimes those can provide relief that's either permanent or temporary. Sometimes they can't provide that relief because what's required is an internal change to your nervous system. And part of the reason I talk about this is to bring it to the awareness of more and more people that sometimes you do need that internal change. Sometimes a chiropractor, a physical therapist, a massage therapist, an acupuncturist, a pain doctor who's giving you medications or a surgery, perhaps that isn't the full answer for you. Sometimes it is, sometimes it's not. And so that's an individual decision for each person to really look at their life and say, hmm, what do I really need to change? Because all of your decisions right now have led you up to the point of where you are. And you can choose to change those decisions and go to a different state. And sometimes you can do it alone, but a lot of times you need someone to help you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I definitely feel seen and called out right now. <laughs> <Just kidding. laughs> it's all but good. It's I've gone through it. We all go through it. And, and, you know, even though I talk about this and even though I help people through this, guess what? I fall on my face all the time. I have to get the slap in the face too. I love it when entrepreneurs are so brutally honest because mm -hmm. there's this misconception that, you know, you figure it out and it's never a problem for you. And it's yeah. no, that's not true at all. I, I think one of the powerful things you've said there is like, we talk so much about self-care and, you know, massage and osteo and all of the, 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 um, things that we might use to support us. And there's nothing wrong with any of that, but if everything continually just becomes a band-aid that we put over and over and over, but we, we know deep down, like it doesn't last. Say I have a massage today and it feels great. And by tomorrow I'm like, God, I feel like, like there've been times I've rebounded as you just explained here. I can see it now where it's like, I felt so good. And the next day it's like, then a migraine comes in. It's like, what in the world? I was trying to do self-care. Why is it not working, et cetera. So if you're in the space of constantly just adding band-aids to it and nothing is long, like any bit of long-term of relief, then that's probably a sign that you're also just applying like external modalities when it needs to be an internal change. Mm -hmm. And I love that there are so many people who have all these talents and mm -hmm. niches and that, but when I see someone who is going to 10 different specialists, yeah. that worries me mm -hmm. because I know that person is grasping for answers. They really want to get better and I applaud them for that and I support them wholly, but it also makes me say, you might want to pause you might want to stop just for a second and say, what is the one thing that I can do that will impact all these areas that are in trouble? Let's just do one thing right now. Mm -hmm. So that way we can see what is the true effect on, on those areas and then maybe build from there. But it tells me the nervous system is just, it's on high alert mode. When you have all of these different practitioners who are doing their darndest and their hardest and their best work to help a person. And my heart goes out to both, both people, all of them. Yeah, no, I, I've been on both ends. I understand exactly what you're saying. I really do. You have taken this into applying into your business. This is literally what you do now, which I think is so fascinating. So if you um, tell us about your, like what your business is called, what it stands for and how this works. Sure. So it's Caber Institute is the name it stands for pain, awareness, breathing, relief. Mm -hmm. 
So I work with people one-on-one, but I also have just launched a group cohort course for those who want a a community. Mm-hmm. We learn better when we're with other people. We sure do. And sometimes we don't know what questions to ask because we don't know what we don't know. But someone might be just a little bit more educated in a certain area to know what to ask. And so with this course, it's starting in July and it's going to be developed into a year long program to help people learn. I'm calling it total body freedom. Mm -hmm. So learning how to free up their body so they can move like a little kid again. So they don't have to check in with their body and say, Oh wait, can I go to the store today? Oh, no, I have back pain or I have hip pain. I can't go do that. Or I can't go play on the ground with my child or grandchild because I'm afraid I can't get back up and because my hip will hurt or I'm too afraid to go to that event because I don't know if I can handle being around people because of some past trauma. So we're working on developing this community and going through a process where they go through positions, we check on it and it's a weekly program. Mm -hmm. The first part will be twice a week where they learn a couple skills. Then we do a check-in the second day, second day of the week. And so they're progressing and they're learning from each other. And one of the unique ways of doing this and is we want to capture as much of the learning styles as possible, you know, visual, auditory, kinesthetic, but also I want my, the people who attend to teach this to a person who's also in the group so they can see what that person's body is going through because I can see when your body shifts and changes and people I work with can feel it, but when they can see what it looks like in someone else, it helps them learn it better themselves. So that's a big, that's a big part of my program now is getting people into this community so they can progress and have other people around because my one-on-one clients tell me all the time, I feel so alone. It's like, okay, you're not alone. I'm telling you from the bottom of my heart, you are not alone. Most people have these same issues. Not everyone is as vulnerable in voicing them Mm -hmm. as you are. And we've done it in a safe space, but now let's take it to a a, a small close-knit community where you can share that and be supported and watch yourself transform. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I think the whole collaborative space, that safe space can be so powerful when, because all of a sudden the light bulb goes on. It's like, wait, you're struggling too? Like you struggle too. It's like, we have this concept that we believe it's just us. And a lot of that's because we don't talk about difficult things. We don't, Mm -hmm. we don't show those sides of ourselves. So I think that that is really powerful. Um, As I listen to everything you've explained, you've given us so much information. It's honestly, it's, it's been incredible, but I'm also laughing because I'm thinking you obviously have put this into practice in your own life. Because just for anybody who doesn't know you, like, tell us about your running and what you have done, because you obviously have had to put this into practice Mm -hmm. to be able to do what you've done. Yes. So I in part running was kind of my way to develop this. Mm -hmm. I was back in 2014 now. Yeah. 2014, I was training for qualifying for the Boston Marathon. And at that point, I had run, I think, like seven or eight marathons. And I realized that I could calm down my nervous system in the middle of a run to help me not get tight. Mm-hmm. And so I'd get off a eight mile run off of a treadmill. I didn't have to stretch. I didn't foam roll. I didn't scrape anymore. I did, I stopped doing all those things that I used to recommend that people do. And I didn't need to, I didn't have the tight hamstrings anymore because I could calm myself down in the middle of a run. And so then the next marathon I ran, I went through the, went through the, um, qualifying marks very easily. And the one after that seven minutes faster, the one after that seven minutes faster. And so I, my fastest was a 319 marathon, which with the little training that I was doing, was really fast. And I'm not anything special. I'm not a phenomenal, you know, in terms of running athletics or anything like that, but I could calm my nervous system down. 
And so I've used this to run 50 miles, 100 mile ultra marathons. And, and I did a little bit of a challenge. I'll just tell you really quick. And, and I say this not to, not to brag, but to show mm. how you can actually use it. So in 2016, I was like, okay, this year, I want to see how fast I can run marathons that are close together with as little training as possible, but work on keeping my nervous system calm. So at the beginning of the year, somewhere in March, I ran a marathon with not too much training. I was still doing some long runs, but I wasn't doing a hardcore training like I had been doing the previous years. And I ran a 326 marathon, which easily passed the Boston qualifying marks. Mm -hmm. Two weeks later, I ran another marathon, the 329, which usually when you run a marathon, two weeks later, you're still kind of in recovery mode. And so to go only go two, three minutes slower was pretty, was very exciting for me. And so then a couple of weeks later, I was running Boston and ran another 329. And then after that, I, I did some other, um, other races after that. And so that was my, okay, can I do it for based on speed? And so then the next year I was like, okay, I'm going to challenge myself differently and see if I can do it based on length and do it for endurance. And I'm not going to focus on speed. I'm going to just focus on, can I keep my nervous system calm and run long races kind of back to back? And so I started, started the year in January and I ran a marathon and I, it was supposed to be slow, but I decided to push it a little bit just so I could qualify for Boston again. Six days later, I ran a hundred mile marathon in the mountains in Arizona and I didn't have any pain after that first marathon. So six days I was pain-free, but I went into the race a little tired, a little sleepy. And so I ran the first 60 miles. I was fine. The last 40 miles I was sleepy and I took two 15 minute naps and I was a lot of jogging, walking, Mm -hmm. and I was just tired, but not in pain. And then four weeks after that, I ran a hundred K in the mountains in horrible weather conditions, sleep, um, rain, mud, I mean, six inch mud where you're losing your shoes, survived that a week later, ran a road marathon, 26.2 miles. And then a week after that, I did a 50 miler in the mountains, all with no injuries or anything. And each time it was all about how do I keep my nervous system calm so that my body stays in a neutral position when my muscles fatigued out and I developed pain, I had to calm it down so it would release. And so I would do this throughout the races. And after the races, I made sure that I would get in specific positions to make sure I could keep my nervous system calm. So my muscles went back to their resting position and didn't cool down in a tightened sympathetic tone position, which often happens with any type of athletics or weightlifting. When I see weightlifters or anyone who says they have tight hamstrings, they say your body is out of position and your muscles have toned up based on you pushing them to their limits, but they didn't know how to let go to recover back in their original position. So you feel tight and you feel the need to stretch. And so during that couple month, two month period in 2017, when I was doing all these crazy races, I was just very cognizant of it. And it's a daily practice to make sure your nervous system stays calm because just like anyone else in the world, I had work stresses, I had driving stress, like, you know, life happens. So I was just very cognizant. Okay. Calm, Amy, calm, calm. And I went through this breathing and body position process. Thank you for sharing all of that. And if you're listening and you're like, okay, I do not have a drive to do a hundred miler. That's not what she's talking about. Like the whole point is how that test of being able to, I think you said it so bang on, how do I get to neutral, getting to neutral and learning how to stabilize and say it neutral is it's parallel and is part of so many parts of our lives, right? When we're in this fight or flight, we're not in neutral. When we're reacting to everything, we're not in neutral. And one of the things I like to say is like the story only ever has the meaning that we give it. So if we give it this like reactive, explosive experience, 
then we're putting ourselves through that. We're so far from neutral. So I love how you experimented with yourself with running. But if you're listening, you're like, I'm not a runner. It's it's don't get caught up into that piece yeah. of it. It's it's very powerful what you shared. Yeah. And it, it's all about I chose a physical form of pushing myself mm-hmm. to the limits. Mm-hmm. Some people do it mentally. Some yep. people do it in their business. Some people do it spiritually. Great you point. push yourself to your limits. But the key is, can you control your nervous system or learn to control your nervous system to pull you out of it each day so that you can start refreshed where your previous day isn't impacting your current day? And that's really what the story is about is where are you pushing to your limits? And are you pulling yourself out of that so that you allow your body to heal every day and every night? As I listen to this, it something that you just said there that I want to just call on is, are you giving yourself that space to allow your nervous system to pull back? Like, I think that's the thing just like our muscles, just like anything else that we're doing, it is a regular daily practice. It's not one yoga class. that's going to fix it. It's not one, you know, stretching every day. That's going to fix it. It's a practice. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It really is. And it doesn't take a lot of time. You know, it's five minutes here, five minutes there. It really, it's, caring about yourself in the present for your future Mm -hmm. and recognizing your past may have left some baggage inside you, but you can start to clean it up because your future depends on it. Your health, your quality of life depends on it. Your participation in your favorite activities or with your favorite people that depends on you taking that step right now to clean up your nervous system and to learn how to gain a little bit of control. It doesn't have to be perfect. It's just take the next step to learn a little bit more about your body. And with consistent work in doing this, you can completely change your body's response and reaction. Mm -hmm. You can, Mm -hmm. you really can. And it's shocking to people when they realize that they can do it. Often personalities will change. Mm-hmm. They people show up differently. Their energy is different. Mm-hmm. Things that used to put them in crisis mode don't anymore. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it leads to people sleeping a lot for a, for a period of time because their body is recovering, and that's okay because your body needs it. If you fall asleep while I'm working with you, I'm completely okay with it. I'll wake you back up. But I'm going to say your body needs some sleep. Mm-hmm. If I, if we work together and you calm down enough that you fall asleep during the daytime, that doesn't mean you're lazy. It means you're sleep deprived and your body just opened up to the fact that you can now relax. And it just means, guess what? You, you now have a tool that you can practice at night to really help you sleep. And guess what? Your body also is just saying, please let me see you. Please, you know, I, I want to do this. I have some recovery to do. I have some healing to do. Yeah. So give me that permission and let's go yeah. for it. Sleep is not a bad thing. Like sleep yeah. is not a bad thing. We went through a period of time where all we heard was like, I'll sleep when I'm dead. And yes. if you want it, you got to drive for it and you got to do the things, etc. And I love Gary V, but, and he just said, not even that long ago, he's like, no, like take your sleep, like take care of you. I will outwork anyone, but I will rest. I will give myself that time. And so I do think there's a different, I really feel like there's a different culture that's happening and that people want, they want to be able to hold it all. Like, can I build a business and have the life and have the downtime? Yeah, you can. Yes, you can. Yeah, you can. You can. And I'm so glad you brought up that phrase. You'll sleep when you die because it is, guess what? You're going to die sooner because you are, you have that mentality. And just recently a friend posted something on Facebook about how he's so excited. He's waking up at 2 AM now. And you know, he doesn't, you don't need sleep. You just need pockets of sleep. And I, I didn't want to rain on his parade and, you know, 
he's posting this on Facebook, but I did pose a question. I said, have you checked to see how much REM sleep you're getting because you're getting up at 2 a.m. and you're Mm -hmm. sleeping only a couple hours per night? And he does go to bed, I think, at 8.30. But the thing is, our, our sleep cycles are not uniform throughout the night. During the first half of the night from like 9 to 12, you have more deep sleep within that 90-minute sleep cycle. From like 1 to 4 or 5 in the morning, you have more REM sleep. So those who don't go to bed till 12 or 1 in the morning, you're missing out on the sleep cycle where deep sleep predominates. Mm-hmm. If you get up at two in the morning, you're missing out a lot on the, where the REM sleep predominates. And so that's going to affect your ability to integrate and create. And so I just pose that like, you really need to maybe get this checked out. Mm-hmm. Maybe you're different, but there is some commonalities in how these sleep cycles are going and your desire to you know, sleep when you die and be on, on, on you're young and you might be able to be resistant to resilient right now, but I'm sure you want to live 80, 90, hundred, you know, years, it would be nice. So just thinking about the future too. Yeah. And as you age, like you want to be able to like still function and do what you do as best as you can and not be in that space of, you know, I, I can't because in this age, I can't, I love my family doctor, but I mean, I should probably, anyways, she's very much in the mindset that, well, you're over 50, you should stop doing that. I'm like, no, this is actually the time I should be doing these things. Mm-hmm. Like, this is like listening to what I need and moving. I don't want to be. And I mean, my husband is a CrossFitter, so a master's athlete CrossFitter. So it's health is extremely important to us, but I love what everything that you're saying to me, it's just a reminder for me and for anyone who's listening. Health is not just about how you move your body, what, like what exercise you're doing. Health is like all encompassing. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And really can I ask um, completely random, but as you're talking about like tracking REM sleep and everything, and I love data, are those aura rings? Do they actually help you to try? Have you seen the rings that track your sleep? And yeah. they, yes, is that part of what yeah. they do? It is. So you can look at your sleep data and look and see how much deep sleep versus REM sleep. And so I have a lot of clients who have that. And we use that to help them look also at their age, age, um, their heart rate variability, HRV mm-hmm. too, because that's also a signal of, are you in parasympathetic relaxation versus sympathetic fight or flight mode? So those are a great tool to mm-hmm. help you. Mm-hmm. Now there, when you're looking at that data, you may not feel if it gives you a sleep score of ooh, 90%, you may not feel great because there are other factors too, mm-hmm. but it gives you an idea of kind of what your body is doing over time. And you can start to make some, you know, correlations and start to learn what your body responds to based on what you intake for food and drink and what time you go to bed. So it's, it's great information. Yeah, no, I was just, thank you for answering that. I was just curious because I am a data. I like data and I like to understand and learn. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so it's all, it's so good. So good. Um, there's so much value you have given us today. And I thank you for all of the details. I mean, you have books on Amazon. You have all of your contact information will be in the show notes. Where's the best place for people to follow you, learn more about what you do? I would say go to my website, paberinstitute.com. That's the best way to see all the different resources. I have a, a show up there. I have an email list. I have the online courses now listed there. Um, one-on-one sessions, I have. you can sign up for a free consultation. It's application only. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to make sure we're on the same page if we are going to do one-on-one. Even the online cohort course is where I'm teaching these live sessions, it's application because I want to make sure that a person who is going to be working with us is kind of on the same page. I 100% agree, especially when you have a container that you're trying to hold the energy of the container. It is very important that you have people like-minded in that space. Absolutely. Um, 
Well, this has been an absolutely incredible conversation. Like you allowed me to get into my whole like geek science side, which I love. And I can so relate to so many things. So I know this will be valuable for everyone. I have one more question for you. And it is what lesson in life are you most grateful for? I think the one that I'm most grateful for is mistakes are good for us and they are opportunities to learn. Mm-hmm. They're not really the negative connotation that we were taught as a kid. No, it's that's hundred percent true. Again, back to neutral. The story only ever has the meaning that we give it and mistakes is where we learn. That's where we decide, is this what I want or not want? Absolutely. I appreciate mm-hmm. you having me on. Thank you so much, Marsha. Oh, you're so welcome. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Own Your Choices, Own Your Life podcast. If you love this episode, please submit a rating and review on iTunes and please share it with someone you think could benefit from hearing this message or this podcast. I love connecting and meeting you. So please screenshot the episode and tag me on social media or Instagram stories at Marsha Van W. And until next time, remember when you own your choices, you truly own your life.